You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. This is the second of six weeks of us looking at the Old Testament book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. It's God's final word to his people, preparing them for the first Christmas when Jesus was to come some 400 years later. And so I need to ask you, did you come here today to hear a a hope-filled, encouraging sermon? Well, that's not going to happen. I just want to throw that out there right out of the gate. Remember last week, we started the prophet Malachi. And... The theme was God starts with love. He was modeling that we need to build a relationship before we can then speak words of, incur- of, of instruction into it. In other words, we've got to connect before we can correct. God does that. He did that last week. He connected by showing the people how much he loves them. Well, today... He has to do the correct. God's going to give them a very bad report card. And we're going to first look at the priests starting in Malachi chapter 1 verse 6. Those verses will be on the screen in just a moment. But look, it's still going to be fun, I promise. Just hang in there with us. But before we see this text, I need to share this with you. In each of the scenarios we're going to see in our passage, sin has caused a problem. And God has made a solution. The problem that sin brings is suffering, death, poverty, shame, guilt, grief. And then God has a plan. And he's going to send forth a group of people called priests. This was to be a family line of ministry, starting with the Old Testament person of Aaron, Moses' brother. And on down the line, the priests were to come to lead the people. They were like pastors They were to teach the Bible, to love the people, serve them, lead them in worship, visit them in the hospital, officiate at their weddings. God is going to start with them and give them, those priests, his evaluation. Here's what God says. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, and God is, we noticed that last week. He is saying it here. We'll see it again in another chapter. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a father, God is a father. So where's the honor? God is really saying, you know, this whole thing with the relationship, the reason why there's trouble is because there is dishonor. That's a key principle to relationships. It's hard to have a healthy relationship with someone who continually dishonors you. He goes on. If I am a master, which he is, he is the Lord. Where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. You know you've got a problem in your relationship when you hate the name of the other person, right? So let's say, not you, but someone you know has a rough marriage. And I were to meet them and say, okay, tell me about your spouse. And they're like, I I don't want to talk about it. Well, Well, tell me their name. 
I don't even say it. Because as soon as that name would come out, I get a nervous eye twitch and I shake and I, and I start cleaning my gun and I read Lamentations and it's not pretty. I don't even say it. You can't even say their name. So what God is saying is, you hate my name. You don't even say it. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? So now they're, they're even kind of mocking God. And what, what I want you to see is that the priesthood as a whole body fail. Now, we created a problem, God created a plan, and the priests failed to execute God's good plan. They failed. The priests were the leaders. They were a failure. So before we go any further, let me give you four principles of leadership. The first is this. Honor goes up before blessing comes down. As you read Malachi, they're going to keep asking God, where's our blessing? We don't feel blessed. Their concept of God is that he's a pinata and prayer is a stick. All I got to do is take a whack at God and blessings are just going to pour down, right? They're asking, where's our blessing? And God's asking them, where's my honor? They want blessing to come down, but they're not willing to give honor up to him. So this is how it works for you that are parents. Your kid's like, I hate you. Can I have some ice cream? You're like, well, I've got a big wooden spoon, but it's not for the ice cream. You're like, I don't bless dishonor. If you will honor, if you will respect, if you will obey, if you will try, then I can bless you. But parents, hear me on this. What happens if you bless a disobedient child? They're rewarded and encouraged to do what? More. <laughs> Bless more disobedience and rebellion. So what happens is God is telling them, you're not honoring me. You're not respecting me. You're not following me. And as a result, I'm not blessing you. Honor goes up. Blessing comes down. Leadership principle number two. People are like their leaders. Jesus, in effect, says that in Luke 6.40 when he says that students become like their teachers. Here, God is speaking to all the people, but he's primarily speaking to the priests first because they're the leaders. People follow their leaders. And if the priests are getting it all wrong, well, so are the people. So all of you that are leaders, not just in church, maybe you have the honor of leading at home, at school, at work, people follow their leaders. The result of the priest not honoring God, the people don't honor God. That's why God holds those in leadership to a higher level of accountability. All right, leadership principle number three. Church governance is God down, not people up. So the priests were like, hey, it's working for us. We met with the people. We took a big church vote. We think things are going fine. And God said, I don't agree. The people think it works for them. And God says, it doesn't work for me. The question is, is church, is ministry, is life supposed to work first for us or first for him? So what happens here is that the people are getting their way. God's not being honored. 
That's on the leaders. The priests are supposed to be mediators between God and the people. And God says, here's what I want. And the people are saying, well, this is what we want. And the priests, the leaders are saying, okay, we're going to give the people what they want. And God shows up and said, that's not what I want. We live in a world where everybody wants what they want. And that leads us to leadership principle number four. The key is finding and following the will of God. You see, the people are getting up every morning and going, huh, what do I want? And God's like, no, no, no. You're supposed to be getting up every morning and going, what is it that the Lord wants? The key to being a leader, finding and following the will of God so you can help others find and follow the will of God. So whether it's in church or business or family, we've got to start with, is this what the Lord wants? Thy will be done. Ever remember praying that? God, what do you want? And so the problem here is leadership. They're giving the people what they want. They're not giving them what God wants. How many of you, as parents, you don't say yes to everything your kid asks? If you're a good parent, sometimes you have to say no, right? Otherwise, they get Mountain Dew at bedtime, light off fireworks in the house, and things are going to go horribly wrong with the dog. Sometimes a parent says, no, I can't give you what you want because it's not good for you, and I love you. God here is a father. These are his kids. They're like, this is what we want. God's like, but that's not what you need. And when I say no, it's not because I don't love you. It's because I do love you. I'm your dad. Trust me. So the priesthood failed. Second, the sacrificial system failed. Here's the problem. We sin. Sin leads to death. God has a plan. This is before Jesus comes. The plan was sacrificial system. So rather than a person dying, they would put in place the sacrificial system where an animal would be a substitute. And you would pin your sins on that animal. They would be sacrificed. So the substitute is sacrificed, not the sinner. That's God's plan for the problem we've made through sin It's the great plan for their day. Now, again, this is not going to be complete. It's not going to be perfect because Jesus hasn't yet come. But how is it going for them in the meantime? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer, this is about the Lord's table, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. So the sacrificial system is bring a sacrifice, unblemished, holy, pure, unto the Lord because worship is sacrifice. What do they do? They bring blind, lame, 
sick sacrifices. And God says, you know what? You wouldn't do that to your governor. And what he's talking about is more than an animal. God wants your heart. God wants you to give joyfully and sacrificially. The point is, worshiping is a whole lot different than shopping. Here's what I mean by that. What are you doing when you're shopping? You're trying to spend as little as possible to get as much as possible, right? How many of you do this on Black Friday? You know what Black Friday is? It's the day that parents have to wear knee pads and elbow pads and helmets and tasers because it's dangerous out there. But every Black Friday, you get a chance, you get a choice. You ought to join with about 35 others of us who are volunteering at the Operation Christmas Child Shoebox Distribution Center in Charlotte, just putting that out there. So, shopping is different than worshiping because shopping is about getting, worship is about giving. Shopping doesn't have a whole lot of generosity to it. Have you ever noticed that? You don't go into Walmart and go, It's on sale. I wanted to pay full price because I really wanted to bless Walmart. I want to make their year profitable. Who says that? So what happens in worship is that it's about giving, not getting. But sometimes God's people show up to worship and they think, you know what? We're the customer and the customer's always right. And the staff's job is to give what the customer wants, give the product that the customer demands, In any case, the sacrificial system failed. Thirdly, the temple failed. Again, the problem is sin. Sin causes separation from God. God is holy. We are unholy. God is in heaven. We are on earth. There is separation. There is a relational problem. So what God does is he devises a plan for that problem that we've made, and he creates something called the temple temple is the connecting point, the bridge between heaven and earth. It's the place where the God of heaven comes down to earth. And as a result, everything orbits around the temple. The whole point of the temple is that you would go there to worship. You would go there to be in God's presence. You would go there to deal with your sin. You would go there to pray. If you didn't know God, you would go there to learn about him. If you were a leader, you'd go there to teach about him. Everything orbited around the temple. It was the spiritual center of the universe, the holiest place on earth. It was the place where God's presence dwelt. But here's what he had to say. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. Those are strong words. And in case you're wondering, I didn't pick Malachi because it fits. Y'all are doing much better. Let me just say that. (laughs) In a little while, we'll talk about an offering. I don't think there'll be any lame animals on the plate. So y'all are doing way better. But here's the key to ministry. God is to be the focus. God is to be the focus. People are the beneficiaries. In Malachi, the problem is the people are the focus. People are saying, it works for us. God's saying, well, it doesn't work for me. The people are saying, well, we want what we want. God said, no, it's got to be about me. Now, God has to be the focus. 
Some might think, well, that sounds awful selfish of God to want to be the center. (laughs) Believe me, God being the center is the best thing for you. You're not meant to be God. You're not meant to be the center of the universe. And when God is the center, when he is the focus, he is the father who is going to love, bless, protect, and lead his children. No matter how big we are, we are his kids. So far, the priesthood, the sacrificial system, the temple, all declared by God to be a failure. Number four, tithing failed. Our problem is that we sin. Sin brings suffering and shame and strife into the world, and there are people in need. And so what God does, he devises a plan where people would give an offering, uh, referred to in some ways in the Bible as first fruits. They'd give generously so ministry could happen, people's needs could be met. The way this was supposed to work is it through something called a tithe. Tithe is literally 10%. But on top of that, there were offerings. So you'd give 10% of your income to the Lord, and then there were feasts and festivals and gleanings for the poor. And by the time you add it all up, it's much more than 10%. So there's two ways to look at this. One is, why should I give God my wealth? The other, God, how much of my wealth do you want me to keep? Do you see the difference? Is your wealth his wealth? Is your family his family? Is your car his car? Is your job his job? It's an issue issue of ownership. And what God wanted was his people to be generous and you'd give from what you had to the Lord first. But God has to correct them. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled. Its food is contemptible. We ask sometimes, well, Why does it seem that God wants our wealth? Because here's the deal. You either worship wealth or you worship God with your wealth. Three reasons biblically why this is important. First of all, Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. It's about serving. It's about giving. It's about worshiping. The big idea is that worship is to be a sacrifice. And when the people say, why does God want the wealth out of my hands? Because the real issue is he wants to get the idol out of your heart. Number two in the book of Acts The quote from the Lord Jesus is given in Acts 20, 35. The Lord Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Here's the key. Giving is a blessing. There's a false teaching that says if you give, God will be giving you a blessing. That's a Ponzi scheme. I give $1 to God, God's going to give me $100. That's not the way it works. The giving is not to get a blessing. The giving is a blessing. And number three, the Apostle Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. 
Giving is cheerful. Giving is joyful. Everything that I have is a gift from my Father, and he wants me to share some of it. How many of you that have kids, you realize that your kids don't bring a whole lot of income to the family? Is that true? It's not a big income stream there. They only have what they have because they got it from where? Their parents. So everything they have, they get from their parents. And one of the things that we should be teaching them as parents and grandparents is to share what they have. So Johnny, here are two popsicles. Give one of them to your sister. Why? Because <laughs> that one's not yours. I've given you one to enjoy, one to share. So it is with God. When we share what is already his, you're going to share in his joy. See, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are givers and there are takers. Takers seldom find joy and contentment because they always want more. Givers are full of joy and cheer and contentment. Here's the big idea. If I can get you to be a giver, I can change your life. Let me tell you how it works. If I can get you to give, then I can get you to forgive. You see, giving is more than just money. It's everything. If you will give, you can forgive, which is giving love and grace and mercy and compassion, not vengeance and violence and, just and injustice. If you can give your words of encouragement and, and hope and life, you can build people up rather than tear them down. If you can give your time to lift burdens and help others, you will be a burden lifter, not a burden giver. If I can get you to give your heart to someone, you're going to make a better spouse, a better friend. If I can get you to give your energy away, you'll be a better employee. Okay, next category. So the priesthood failed, the sacrificial system failed, the temple failed, the tithe failed, and so too did ministry. You see a theme? And if you're not discouraged yet, hold on, let me fix that. Here's our problem. Sin creates a world filled with needs. So God's plan is that his people would do ministry. Loving, serving, helping, blessing, engaging, participating in the needs of others. And God has to call together a family meeting and he says, and you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously. You know, Raise your nose to it, says the Lord Almighty. This is what happens when people forget that God is always serving them. This is what happens when people forget that they're not the only ones that might be going through a hard time and have a, a rough day. There are others as well. That's the opportunity to do ministry, to help. Now, having said that, there are times that we go and we go and we go and we get tired, we get exhausted, we get worn out, and we feel like we need to take a break. You know what? Jesus did too. There were times that he just had to pull away before he re-engaged. It's okay to be like Jesus. Well, there's one more category so maybe there's still hope for these people. And now let's dash it to. <laughs> Worship also failed. 
When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock, vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. The problem that was created through sin is that rather than worshiping God and enjoying the gifts he gives, people were worshiping the things he gives. We're made to worship. But when we worship someone or something other than God, we find ourselves in a problem that leads us into sin. And they're saying, God, we would have given you better, but you didn't give. God's like, I gave you an unblemished animal. What'd you do with it? You ate it. So their worship failed. So let me summarize all of this for you who are catching football scores and missing the lowlights. The priests failed. The sacrificial system failed. The temple failed. Tithing failed. Ministry failed. Worship failed. That's it. I mean, that's the Old Testament. And here's the big idea. Because Jesus hasn't shown up yet. Everything is a total disaster. It's a wreck. It's a failure until Jesus shows up. Now, you can have a great plan, and it's a failure unless Jesus shows up. Whatever you've planned, whatever you're working on, whatever you're aspiring to, whatever you're hoping for, until Jesus shows up, it's a complete and total failure. So all of this is to prepare people for the coming of Jesus for the first Christmas. So here's the point. Where's the hope? Who's going to fix this mess? Jesus is coming. And here's what I want you to see. The priests failed, but Jesus is faithful. Jesus is our priest. He lives to intercede for you and for me. You can trust Jesus. You can follow Jesus. You can bank on Jesus. You can follow Jesus to your grave. You can follow Jesus through your grave. Number two, I told you as well, is that the sacrificial system failed. But Jesus is our sacrifice. 1 Peter 1.19 speaks of the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. They're bringing lame sacrifices. Jesus is not a lame sacrifice. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is pure. Jesus is good. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes as your substitute. He takes on all of your sin, all of your suffering, all of your shame, and he goes to the cross and he lays down his life so that you might live. Number three, I told you that the temple failed. Jesus is our temple. Now, this is mind-blowing. We don't go to a place. We go to a person. His name is Jesus. The reason the temple no longer exists, that was destroyed in 70 AD, is because we don't need it. We need Jesus. Jesus is the connecting point between heaven and earth. Jesus is the place where sin is forgiven, the place where prayers are heard. Jesus is the place where people are saved, where burdens are lifted, where, where eternities are altered. Jesus is the place that demons 
are defeated. In addition, I told you that tithing failed. First fruits failed. Here's what's amazing. Jesus comes to give himself as a sacrifice of first fruits. First meaning first and best. So here's what we learn about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 23. Christ is the first fruit. So he is the first and best. They gave their worst. God gave his best. Number five, the ministry had failed. But Jesus comes as our servant. And he comes as a servant who does not fail. Matthew 20, 28. This is Jesus speaking. When he says the son of man, that's the title that is designated for him that he uses of himself. Did not come to be served. Did not come to be a taker. But to serve. He came to be a giver. And what did he give? His life as a ransom for many. All the ministry failed. One servant shows up and he doesn't fail. That's what you need to know about Jesus. He doesn't fail. He is faithful. The Bible says that even when we were faithless, he is faithful. And then I told you as well, last one, worship failed. People weren't worshiping God. Jesus shows up. One of the first things that happens as an adult, Satan comes to him and says, you don't need to be a worshiper. You could be a consumer, a a customer. You don't need to sacrifice. You need to indulge yourself. Worship failed. Jesus shows up. And in that moment, Jesus answered the devil. It is written. He's quoting the Bible. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The problem is not money. It's worship. The problem is not fame. It's worship. The problem is not drugs and alcohol. It's worship. The problem is not anger or lying or selfishness. It's worship. That when we worship God, everything else gets straightened out. Jesus is the one that we have to turn to. He is the one that then empowers us to live a life of a worshiper so that we, we, that's what we're created to do. We're created to worship. And we all worship something or someone. Jesus is showing us what it's like to worship him, to worship God. That's where we will find our greatest joy. Our burdens will be lifted. Your hope will come. Your life will change. Your destiny will be altered in the presence of God, worshiping God. So guess what we're going to do now? We're going to partake of communion, which is remembering that we have a faithful high priest who laid down his life as a sacrifice, his body broken, his blood shed. He is not a failure. He is faithful. And if you don't know Jesus today, if you've missed the big idea, you need Jesus. We all need Jesus because religion fails. Spirituality fails. Morality fails. Human attempts fail. Nations fail. But Jesus never fails. 
We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.